Section 9 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Hoffman. Criminal Investigation, A Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers, and Lawyers, Volume 3, by Hans Gross. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Theft. Continued. Section 3. Other Preparations for the Theft The emissary sent by the thieves is not content with merely obtaining information. The scope of his work is not settled for him in advance. He ought, on the contrary, without drawing attention to himself, to do all that he possibly can to render the operation more easy. Thus, when leaving the house, he will, as if by mistake, go the wrong way. Instead of going out by the principal entrance, he will make in the direction of the back door or a side veranda, there to open a bolt, lift up a latch, push a box in front to make a step, make note of a passageway, and in short take stock of a number of details, almost imperceptible and apparently insignificant, but upon which will perhaps depend the ultimate success of the undertaking. He will not miss a chance of stealing a key, or taking an impression of one, or at least copying the keyhole. Let us then distrust all those strange persons who have always something to do near doors and in places where keys are hung up. In the country, part of the business of the scout is to poison the watchdog. He is therefore always furnished with some prepared substance for that purpose. It is but exceptionally that one hears of watchdogs who refuse to accept anything from strangers, and there are very few dogs who will refuse to be tempted by the bait of some dainty. One has only to glance through the narratives of important burglaries committed in the 17th and 18th centuries to find, stereotyped, one might say, the mention of the fact that so many days before the theft, the faithful and brave watchdog, who would certainly have hindered the theft if he had been still alive, had unexpectedly, accidentally, or inexplicably died. It is related in the official list of thefts in churches and burglaries accompanied by murder committed by a band of Jewish thieves, that these rascals, before committing their crimes, used to poison the watchdogs with nukes vomica. Lips Tullian, the prince of all burglars of all time, gives the following good advice. Keep a little watchdog inside your house. A dog outside the house is no obstacle to an accomplished housebreaker. Now, the poisoning of a dog furnishes us with all kinds of clues. If the theft has not yet taken place and the poisoning cannot with probability be attributed to some other person, such as a disagreeable neighbor or a sportsman, when the dog is one given to poaching, we may expect a burglary in the near future. In this case, as well as when the theft has been actually committed after the poisoning of a dog, the investigating officer must turn all his attention towards persons who have been seen to occupy themselves with the dog. These are often, if not always, those people who seem to be the least offensive in the world. An old woman who kindly offers a piece of her dry bread to the dog when it barks at her approach, or a child who plays with the dog and runs away crying because the naughty doggy has taken its slice of bread and butter. In such a case, one has a chance of laying one's hand upon at least one member of the band of burglars, and the inquiry has some chance of being brought to a successful conclusion. The important thing in most inquiries is to find a tiny clue in the inextricable chaos of events. 
Once this is laid hold of, we need no longer despair of disentangling the problem. A very original procedure with regard to dogs consists in the employment of bitches. No dog can resist a bitch in heat. Even a dog that has been castrated will nearly always follow a bitch in heat. It is always possible to prevent a dog from being poisoned by never letting it out without a muzzle, care being taken to submit it to this torture without interruption. But against a bitch in heat there is no remedy at all, unless one keeps a dog so old as to be insensible to such things. But then, such a dog is quite useless for anything. The bitch, whose period of heat must naturally be awaited, can only be made use of during the actual night of the theft. It is led in a leash and with the wind to the house where the dog to be incited is to be found. As soon as the latter scents the bitch, he becomes harmless and tries to get near her. If he is at large, he goes at a run, and the person leading the bitch makes a half turn and goes off in the opposite direction to the house. The dog quietly follows the bitch and her master, who can, when far enough away, seize him and tie him up or kill him. If the dog is not free, but tied up, he will not bark at the approach of the bitch, but will permit its leader, who must naturally advance with the utmost precaution, to come up to him without making a noise. This result attained, the dog will be left with the bitch until the burglary has been committed. Or, if possible, the dog will be unchained and enticed away with the help of the bitch and thus rendered inoffensive. It is therefore not a surprising fact that wandering tribes have so often bitches with them. Doubtless, as is affirmed by sportsmen, bitches are more attached to their masters, and are more docile and more easily managed. They do not so often go off by themselves, but remain not far from the house, are much more equable in temper, and regular in their habits. But all this is not a sufficient explanation why vagabonds are almost exclusively accompanied by bitches. It must therefore be presumed that they are used, as we have pointed out, to lure away watchdogs, and it is difficult to understand why bitches are so rarely used in the country to guard the houses. The inconvenience caused by their having puppies is largely compensated by their usefulness as watchdogs. If then a burglary has taken place, and it is concluded that the dog has been drawn far away from the house in this manner, it is above all necessary to take stock of those wandering people who are in possession of a bitch and have been seen in the vicinity of the place of the crime. It should moreover be remarked that the same result is often obtained without actually bringing the bitch to the spot. These people sometimes content themselves with rubbing their shoes, trousers, and clothes against the sexual parts of the bitch in heat, and this produces much the same effect on the dog as the bitch would herself. The dog will not bark at the approach of a person giving off this odor, and will follow him wherever he wishes. The scout often has recourse to this expedient in order the more easily to approach and explore the house and observe it at a greater length without being betrayed by the barking of the dog and so discovered by the inmates. When the investigating officer learns from a witness, naturally after long questioning on the subject, that, a short time before the theft, he noticed a beggar on whose approach a usually vigilant dog had not barked but had run like mad to meet him, caressed and jumped up upon him, and had been loath to leave him, he knows of at least one person who has taken part in the theft. Especially is this means used by horse stealers, who thereby are able to pacify the most ferocious dogs. A quite up-to-date device employed in large cities is to decoy away from his house or shop the person to be robbed 
or even his whole family, by an anonymous or pseudonymous writing. Whether the communication be the request for an important consultation, or for a tender rendezvous, or free passes to the theater, depends on the person to be deceived. In any case, the investigating officer will be careful in examining the document, as it shows an intimacy with the private circumstances and habits of the person addressed, and allows inferences to be drawn concerning the identity of the writer. Section 4. Thieves' Equipment. See also Chapter 9, Wandering Tribes, and Chapter 10, Superstition. In the execution of his often hazardous schemes, the thief requires all sorts of tools. It is easily understood that this is an important matter for the investigating officer, for the discovery of such tools often constitutes overwhelming proof against the person in whose possession they are found. But it is rare to lay hands on such implements, for every thief of any experience at all takes care to get rid of such compromising articles when he has no immediate use for them. But on the other hand, there are many things necessary and even indispensable to a thief which he does not fear to carry with him, the more so in that they seem quite inoffensive, and their use and importance is rarely known to outsiders. Speaking generally, we may say that all articles found upon a suspected person, the use of which does not appear clear, ought to be considered suspicious. It is therefore impossible to give a list of compromising articles, and we must content ourselves with saying that those things which appear to be the most inoffensive may be the most dangerous when it is impossible to determine their necessity and natural usage. In this way, light slippers or short, thick stockings found in a person's house indicate that their owner is a thief who operates in hotels and who slips furtively about houses. In winter, he finds it too cold to walk barefoot or in ordinary socks. Long, thin rods or large quantities of bird lime betray the thief whose speciality is money deposited in charity boxes in churches and elsewhere. This was known as long ago as the 14th and 15th century, and is carried on much in the same way today. In the Graz Criminal Museum are several instruments of this kind, in which, instead of pieces of whalebone, splinters of reed were employed, hidden in a bamboo used as a walking stick, and to the eye, harmless looking enough. Walking sticks which appear to be tipped with a piece of black metal, really wax or resin, are also to be suspected, for with them small articles exposed for sale in an open window may easily be removed. Sometimes these sticks are made to lengthen out like a fishing rod or the leg of a patent camera stand, thus rendering them all the more dangerous. In India, a long, thin stick with half a coconut shell fixed to the end is commonly employed to abstract grain from a granary through a hole in the wall. One such, nearly six feet in length, deposited in the Madras Criminal Museum, is depicted in figure 129. A piece of black cloth can be for no other object than to render the thief unrecognizable by masking his face. Only recently, two London experts who broke into a house and murdered an old couple for the sake of a few shillings were convicted mainly on the evidence of some old pieces of black stocking. One of the victims had been able before death to state that the thieves had their faces partially covered with black cloth, and on a search being made, one of the masks was discovered under the murdered couple's bed. Similar pieces of cloth were found in the house of the accused men, and this practically secured their conviction. Every burglar or house thief is furnished with a piece of tallow, sterine, or candle to enable him, if need be, to find his way about in the dark places of a strange house.
Again, the thief who foresees that he will have to break windows without making a sound will take care to be provided with some adhesive substance, ergo cobbler's wax, wax cloth, gum, etc., spread on paper or cloth, which he affixes to the window to be broken into. Much in use is the well-known flypaper called Tanglefoot, which may be purchased all over the world. The pieces of glass then stick to the adhesive cloth or paper, and the thief thus avoids the noise that would otherwise be made by their fall. Often a strong fish hook attached to a thread is discovered. This is used for throwing through open windows on a level with the ground to catch clothes, chains attached to watches, etc., which are then drawn out without difficulty. See Chapter 9, Wandering Tribes. Equally suspicious are long, sack-like pockets, carried more particularly by market thieves to hide stolen merchandise. Almost any item may be compromising. Thus, a signet ring furnished with little knives proves that the owner uses the latter to cut open pockets of garments from the outside and abstract pocketbooks. Odd gloves, especially if stuffed up, betray the railway, bus, and tram thief who wishes to conceal his own hands which are occupied in stealing. A pickpocket with an entirely false arm was recently arrested in a London bus. The papers found upon a suspected person are also very important. It cannot be too often repeated that such papers should be submitted to a minute examination. It often happens that the smallest piece of paper saves endless trouble. All addresses should also be noted. They often enable us to find out the names of accomplices, receivers, or even prospective victims of the thief. Finally, we may mention lists of the markets or race meetings which generally denote market thieves or card cheats. End of section 9. Recording by Philip Hoffman.